Good morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie gross point blank one minute at a time. I am your co-host, Hugh David. And I'm Dev. And on today's show, we're going to be looking at minute 14. And in minute 14, we have Alan Arkin and uh, Martin, well, and uh, John Cusack uh, playing Martin Blank and uh, Alan Arkin playing Dr. Oatman, uh, going through Martin's therapy session and uh, really discussing why maybe this shouldn't be happening as a therapy session. And joining us today, our guest, as in the last couple of episodes, is fellow Minute Movies by Minute podcaster David Forsyth. How are you, sir? Doing excellent. Glad to be here. Fantastic. It's great to have you on. Wonderful to have your experience as well as your perspective on this film. <laughs> so, uh, quick question before we carry on. Uh, David, what, do you, did you see this film when it first uh, um, hit theatrical, or was it uh, a home yeah. video viewing? I- I definitely saw it in the theater. I remember very distinctly because the, uh, the film melted, uh, right in the midst of the, um, uh, the conversation on the Hill with, uh, Dan Aykroyd. No way. Yeah. So they, they restored it fairly quickly, like maybe 10, 15 minutes later. Yeah. Uh, but it was memorable because my friend John, uh, who was a notorious cheapskate, used that to get our money back for the viewing. <laughs> um, they they uh, they were like, "No, you saw the whole movie. We, we repaired it." And he's like, "Yeah, but we missed like a minute of the introduction of one of the main characters of the movie." And so they gave us like passes for another free movie. So that yeah. worked. Wow, yeah, that worked. Yeah. Wow. So I think it was you know it was. A, here in america the theaters are run by teenagers essentially right so uh you, just a little bit of bullying usually gets you what you want from right them, so. okay, yeah okay yeah. very different here <laughs> yeah. um so uh this scene that we're in uh last episode we were talking about alan arkin uh the wonderful wonderful uh late great alan arkin um, and the sort of the, the various elements of cinema that, that draws us into as well as the history of spy fiction and hitman um this moment here, this minute that we're now entering, uh, is <laughs> one of the bits where I find absolutely fascinating because we understand why Martin has chosen this particular person to talk to, as mm. opposed to just any other. Why is this bizarre hostage situation of an interview going on? Um, and I, 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 I don't think it could be any more meta, funny, 90s you know yeah, yeah um because he's well i read your books <laughs> <laughs> i'm a fan kind of thing you know that that whole attitude is just <gasps> annihilation of death and kill yeah. who a warrior's dilemma right <laughs> yeah yeah just the best titles <laughs> it, it sort of gives credence to uh the when we were talking earlier about you know how uh joan cusack's character came to be in his employee that it was deliberate choice because this clearly from that revelation is a deliberate choice. He didn't just go to the neighborhood psychologist or find one in the yellow pages or whatever. He, he picked this person because he felt they had some insight into what he is going through, which, you know, that's probably a good way to pick a psychologist. The rest of their relationship needs some work, but, um, but yeah, it, I think that's, uh, it's astute to, it's it's another insight into into his character right like he clearly is a planner 
someone who likes to do some research and we hear him uh, just in, in our first minute today. So I guess that was 11 where he talks about, no, I need my normal lead time. Um, but then gives up on that very quickly to, to sort of show you what, you know, yes, he's a planner, but he's clearly out of his element right now. Right. Like he's, he's not in his normal ways. Yep. This is also the point where we uh, finally get the, intro for the romantic part of this film, the rom-com. Mm. We finally hear the name Debbie. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, it's precisely because Martin doesn't want to talk about the thing that <laughs> he does for a living, even though in in the most wonderful way, because you were saying the other episode, David, where Arkin's uh, you know, restrained you know, exasperation, the way he says, I'd just like to you know, put it out there that maybe killing lots of people is you know, maybe the source of <laughs> why you're feeling this way. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Cusack, Blank is like, no! <laughs> No, no, it's fine. <laughs> that bit's not the issue. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's a weird way you can kind of, you sort of understand that, right? Because to him, the job is black and white, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, you, someone's hired me to kill you. There's probably a reason why, as he says, you know, there's a re- I show up at your door, there's a reason why I'm there is the line of dialogue. But actually, you can see how that makes it easier for him. Yeah, and I think that's clearly a linchpin for him because that's a theme mm. that we circle back to later on um, mm. in in kind of the the end of the film. That mm. that's definitely a tenet that he's held very dear to him, and I think that's probably something that was instilled into him through his time in the forces as uh, you know, effectively a, a government sanctioned gun for hire, right? Mm. Um, to to kind of train them into what it was that they needed to do. And I think this, a lot of this movie is him deprogramming himself of that. Ooh, that's a good way to look at it. I like that idea. The the deprogramming of how you've been trained. Um, Again, something that was in the air at the time. Um, One of my favorite lines from one of my all time favorite movies is, and I'm as obsessed with that movie as you are with this one. There is uh, Manhunter by Michael Mann, mm-hmm. and the book it's based on, Red Dragon by Thomas Harris. And there, there's a line of dialogue in the in the film that actually has gone in and out of various home video cuts, depending on Mann's mood, um, in which the lead character, who is an FBI profiler, explains that he uh, has sympathy for the child that the serial killer was, because, as he put it, somebody took that child and manufactured a monster. Mm-hmm. But he says, the fact that I feel that way doesn't stop me from wanting to blow the sick F out of his socks, you know. And it's that interesting di- dichotomy of, you know, as a law enforcer, he knows what his job is and he's clear on what it needs to be. And any sympathies he has for the person he's chasing down are irrelevant in that context. And this is almost like the flip side of that, yeah. right? Instead of someone manufacturing a monster, this is somebody who went out and volunteered to become a person who's sanctioned to kill and became good, so good at it that he's now privatized himself right. in that role. Right. But as, but it has, it still has consequences. It still has things he has to deal with. And he, he has to admit to that and get to grips with that because he won't admit to it here. He's like, we, uh, the bit where he sits there and goes, well, what do we do? What do we do now? What do we talk about? <laughs> like, you know, like, well, dude, you literally want to ignore the thing that actually matters here. 
you know, yeah. the, you, the expert you asked has just told you what you should be talking about. And he's like, nah, you know, let's talk about something else. Like, oh, man. Like, if I, you know, you can just, just the sheer, like, if, if Blank wasn't actually someone you two taking you hostage, the sheer, I mean, it's the ex- beyond exasperation, you know, at that point, as, 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 uh, Arkin's character, you must be like, just, oh, God, fine, just give me the money. Let's just do this, you know. Yeah. Your your traditional vision of what this should be. You know, I'm amazed Cusack doesn't always lie down on the sofa at that point, you know. I think, uh, especially considering when we're recording this, so, you know, we're recording this the weekend of Veterans Day in the United States. It's Armistice Day in, in the UK. But um, I think this is in some ways a telling insight into some of the issues that people coming out of the um, services can face in re-entering the real world and and that sense that they need to deprogram themselves of the training because a lot of the things that are required and effective for service are not helpful for civilian life Um, and i think that that can be a very very challenging thing and we see you know i think some improvements have been made in that regard but i think this film is kind of you know right at that point where this was really getting a lot more mainstream attention Mm. from you know uh vietnam veterans re-entering the civilian world happening you know kind of 10 to 20 years prior uh and at this point uh, Gulf Gulf War first Gulf War veterans re-entering mm-hmm, civilian mm-hmm. life um, with you know maybe a little bit more acceptance of things such as PTSD and and traumas that have been uh, realized during service and, and in campaigns and it's you know a difficult topic and a difficult thing to speak to um, and it you know obviously this that's not really the tone of this movie to address those in in depth but i think it's interesting that martin blank is clearly aware of that right is clearly going to a psychiatrist that specializes in that based on the titles of the books right mm-hmm. it, it's very much the sound of uh a, sorry psychiatrist and psychologist i feel like we're using the terms interchangeably <laughs> but dr oatman is very clearly specializing in people who have come out of the services who have faced those things and and Mm -hmm. are traumatized by them and i think there was a a shift around this time because if you think about movies that kind of dealt with it like um first blood and rambo right like that character is clearly set up as someone who you know what else am i supposed to do i you know kind of like that's that's all he he knew and he it's he had this trauma and that's that's vietnam era right so like people who had this inflicted upon them because there was a draft um and you know the vietnam was seen as a much more controversial and unjust thing Mm. especially at the time than than gulf war stuff was you know retrospect on the gulf war may have proven how it was perhaps a bit more unjust but whatever that's you know Mm -hmm. that's a whole different podcast um so that i think there was a bit of a shift in in how we were looking at the trauma we we did to veterans Mm-hmm. Um, around this time as well, so I think that's I think that's astute. Yeah, I mean, in, yeah, you know, this is the Gen X version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you no, know, lots of humor, lots of talking, <laughs> lots of music. <laughs> yeah, rather than the guy in the wilderness. You know? 
I yeah, mean, don't get right. me wrong, First Blood is still really quite something as yeah. a film. Um, you know, and it's the only one of that series that can be called realistic <laughs> in any mm, sense of sure, the word. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as you say, there was that period, wasn't there, late 70s, Deer Hunter, <laughs> First Blood, all of those films, and then and, and, and Rolling yeah, Thunder, Fit Taxi Driver, and then that's one way of dealing with it. <laughs> we have this way of dealing with it, yeah, which is, yeah. you know, in, on, as, as Dev said in a previous episode, entrepreneurial, you know, I've turned into a business yeah. now and I'm a, you know, I'm the guy who goes out and gets it done and you pay me and, and this is what I do. And it's not that big a deal. And it's all talk, 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 talk and as well. You know, it's kind of, and it, it's almost become a trope at this point of this, in this yeah. film, right? Like it, like he doesn't really have to explain it. Right. Like when he says, I went into the army, uh, I, I did some stuff. I, uh, now I'm a hitman. You know, like that's, mm. that's his long version of the explanation mm. that he gives a few times during this movie. And it's just sort of an accepted boom, boom, boom progression. Mm. Like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, like, no, it doesn't, but you know, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, that, that's sort of where, where, where that sits in. Yeah. This suddenly became a very heavy episode. <laughs> well, that's well, the fun we of are, the film. And we are at the psychologist's office. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Do we want to speak a little bit to what the original script had on this one? Please, go. No, you take, take the lead. You, you were the one who dug out the scene. Yeah, so uh, as we've been going through these minutes, I've, I've kind of had half an eye on a script that he won after, uh, which is, fourth I think, draft. fourth draft of the script. Mm-hmm. So... Probably not what they were actually shooting to, especially as there's quite a lot of substantive scene changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's close enough that we can definitely find, you know, rough matches for, for what's going on. Um, and interestingly, particularly the characterization of Dr. Oatman in the script is very, very different to what we see on screen. Um, we spoke yesterday about how he was dressed quite formally and um, how this heart harken back to that kind of film noir aesthetic and and the early you know early freudian uh psychiatry uh and actually in the original script there is a description of dr oatman that is about as far cry from that as you can get with uh i'll I'll read this section out dr oatman sits in the window he is chris kringle-esque and wears a sheepskin vest rough-hewn shirt faded levi's and old fry boots Oatman nods with the suave understanding of a man happy to collect 50,000 in fees before asking a tough question. Um, and, and the entire scene actually plays out with this very different dynamic of, of a much more confident, assertive Oatman that's not really cowed by Martin Blank's role uh, or career choice. Um, and inserts a couple of um, kind of flashbacks, which... You know, we've we've talked previously about how one of the things that I love about this movie is that there aren't these unnecessary flashbacks. Uh, you never see Martin as a teenager. You never see that moment when he decides to go and join the army. You never see him in the Gulf or in Burma or in Panama killing the president with a fork or <laughs> any one of these other things. And these POVs aren't even referenced in the final version of the film. There's one which... Uh, is in a crowded gymnasium and reminds me a little bit of the flashback in kindergarten cop only the way it's described significantly more violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and another scene in a church, which is bare steps short of a full on acid trip, as far as I can tell. <clears throat> um, 
it feel it feels like a very different film suddenly. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder because this draft is not the Tom Jankowitz first, you know, the original script. This is the one that Cusack and his two mates, who then became producers of the film, rewrote themselves. So this is their sense of humor. You know, we're seeing what they've added to the film, and then of course. You know, Armitage will come in, and according to the interviews we've found with him online, he said that he looked at the script and said, "Well, this is great, but it's too long. You're going to have to mm. cut it back." And they went away, wrote, re- tried to rewrite it, and ended up with an even longer <laughs> script. <laughs> so, which was he said was 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 something like 120 minutes uh, or 150, and he was like, "Yeah, no, we're just going to have to." He said, "Look, let's just cut this down, shoot this, shoot that." We can cut this that way. So I do wonder if Armitage is the reason all the flashbacks went, for starters, but also what that then does for the tone. Because mm. without them, we it's down to our imagination and it's down to the acting and their faces. And that's a much more, that's cinema, that's much more interesting than the literalism of saying, look, here is the vision, the Carrie-esque vision of a, you know, body strewn reunion. You know, it's it's it, it's it's way more interesting this way. I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, you know these these are decisions that definitely benefit the film and and mm-hmm. give the viewer license to have some creative ownership of it as well, mm-hmm. um, in a way that you know just does not exist in in a lot of movies these days where everything is explained and you know you're baby stepped through it so yeah i appreciate it although i do kind of want to see this uh sequence (laughs) because do you know what i i i I feel like this is the sort of that that version of it is the sort of thing matthew vaughan was trying with the kingsman films Hmm. i i feel like that's yeah, it's a, it's it's a Mark Miller comic book style take on things, you know, extreme violence for laughter's sake, um, mm. as opposed to you know what we get now, which is something much more interior, much more psychological. Um, yeah, and I, and I think this this movie sort of benefits from straddling that line of realism and and not quite right. Like there's a, mm-hmm. a lot of things that are, that are sort of like fanciful ideas. Like, you know, the fact that there's a very local radio station to gross point where there's just a lady who <laughs> it was well known. Like th- there's small things that are, are sort of real and possible, but sort of out of step with reality, like uh, with how, how things in, in modern culture work. And I think not having those flashbacks helps preserve some of that, feeling to this to this movie and i I think it does a service to to do that yeah yeah it does feel a little bit like the the writing at this stage in the drafting is a little bit of uh you know some some teenagers throwing everything at the (laughs) at the wall and and you know yeah in goes the kitchen sink yeah and then an armistice comes along you know by that point what 17 20 years in the business you know and he yep. sort of says, yeah, okay, guys, you know, <laughs> love this is your first attempt at all of this. Now let's do this, you know. Um, and I think, well, again, I, that's what makes it work. We, some, I forget exactly who it was, but one of the guests on, on our show brought up the, the concept of, um, you know, a, a film, a movie 
can burn through ideas so quickly. Like you can cram, you know, hundreds, dozens of ideas into a script and, you know, depending on how it's shot, that can make you two minutes of film or that can make yeah. you 120 minutes of, of film. And, and so sometimes you just need to throw all the ideas in there and, yes. and, and sort of see how it, it gels out. And sometimes that comes out in the script. Sometimes that gets cut in the, in the bay and yeah. uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, 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 it is the art of the process, I suppose, or part one of the parts of the art of the process. So, yeah. yeah. And that, that's why we like doing casts like this, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is us getting. I mean, I always wanted to. I've produced commentaries before, but I've never got to do one. Um, mm. And this is always my way of. That's this is what I do instead. You know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. is this sort of thing. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that I. This is a, a criminally underserved film on home video and deserves mm. extras. It deserves documentaries. It deserves, you know, interviews. Uh, uh, if they can't get a commentary, you know, this is a film that. Uh, you know, the more we do it, the more I'm like, why doesn't this have, <laughs> you know, why isn't this, this has got a special edition. Um, and, and it needs one. It really does need one. That's, I'll give you, I have a little bit about the, uh, the line where he says, um, he kind of, they're having their discussion about his legal obligations and, and whatnot. And uh, Martin says he just wants to work through it. And then he, he sort of leans back and, and gets into a posture could be dark and sinister could be kind of trying to tell a joke when he says i know where you live and right like it, he he later on reveals that he says it as a joke but it's delivered as one of those things that like could go either way depending on how you react to it kind of thing <laughs> yeah. um but i i think that moment leads to the most healthy discussion that they've had so far uh you know in in our time with them as a uh, patient and psychologist so uh except that it's less like therapy for Martin. It's more like couples therapy for them. Uh, you know, he, after he says that, so it, I mean, uh... I, I, there's a lot of this scene where, which reinforces that father child dynamic, um, mm -hmm. with, I think in some ways, Dr. Altman coaching Martin through what it means to be psychiatry, the ex the explanation of this fear being an emotional involvement. And as you said, you know, the, uh, that wasn't a nice thing to say. That wasn't designed to mm -hmm. make me feel good. Yeah, it's it's yeah. almost like he's kind of berating his child in in a mm -hmm. way. Um, and I think because Martin thinks of this relationship somewhat in that manner, um, it, it's part of why he actually does follow what Altman, Altman advises in in the uh, in the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. By and large, yep, no, that makes that makes sense. That really does. Um, wow, there was one other thing I just remembered. Um, oh, brain. Oh yes, you were talking about the description of what the doctor was supposed to look like on the page. Yes. Um, is it me, or does that sound not just particularly nineteen seventies, but does it sound not a million miles away from? A Clint Eastwood style cowboy, rough shirt, sheepskin jacket, fire, old fire boots. I'm just wondering if yeah. they kind of had this visualization of like one era's, <laughs> you know, killer or or, or, mm. or start. You know, Eastwood was for so long a, a certain type of masculinity on screen and a certain type of 
killer on screen. And I just wonder if there was a visual joke they'd planned there that, that, that ended up not happening. You could be right, actually. I'd been thinking of it slightly differently, more like this sure. kind of weird, uh, you know, lumberjacky kind of vibe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like which also man. doesn't really make a lot of sense, if I'm honest. <laughs> but like the Chris Kringle vibe and the, yeah. the sheepskin jacket, it's almost like the the grandfather in the log cabin. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah. the crunchy hippie kind of, yeah. 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 Um, but... You know, it's, it's just such a weird description. Again, very Twin Peaks. Dr. Jack yes. character oh, I could, with his... Yeah. Yeah, the Hawaiian yeah. shirt and the beard and all of that, except now yeah. we're switching it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, again, you know, I think I, I don't think we can ever underestimate the shadows that Twin Peaks throws over the 90s mm. in terms of what people think they can and can't write about and, and how they can visualise things in a, in a less than traditional manner. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, on on that revelationary bombshell, uh, <laughs> this was minute fourteen of Gross Point Blank podcast, Debbie Radio seventy nine point five FM, featuring your hosts, co writers, and co producers, myself, Dev Sodiger, and Hugh David. Today's guest was David Forsyth. David, where can people find you online? Uh, come come look. Just search for Edge of Tomorrow, and then include the word minute after that. And you'll find us. If you leave off the minute, you get a lot of Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. But throw on minute, you'll you'll find us. Fantastic, thank you. And you can find this podcast at all good podcast players, particularly the one I'm sure you were listening to us on, as well as on YouTube X, if it's still around by the time you hear this, and Spotify. Handle for all of these is at Debbie Radio, D E B I Radio, as well as on our website with the same same D E B I Radio dot com, uh, Debbie Radio. And you can also talk with us on the Facebook listeners group. That's Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl. Smoking for the first time. It wasn't a